Welcome back to Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, DF Bean Counter. With me, as always, is I don't forget your acronym, like FF underscore RTDBPQRST is with me today to talk about some football. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. This is a fun time, man. I mean, every week is a fun time, but this was like a really fun time. Uh, do you know why it's a really fun time? Tell me why. Because like my favorite player in the NFL is now a full-blown workhorse, so it's pretty awesome. Who's your favorite player in the NFL? Christian McCaffrey? He's been a workhorse for years. Ah, uh, well, he's one of my favorites, but uh, I would, I mean, on the Mount Rushmore of like Jacob's favorite players, where I actually watch every one of their snaps every week, I'm beyond excited for Travis Etienne season. And honestly, I've waited for it for way too long. I, I got robbed of his rookie season with uh, some person named Liz Frank. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, this year we had to deal with Jane Rob's plotting ass and all of the people that have been failing upward on their James Robinson takes for so long, uh, finally, at long last, God was coming to them uh, with the zero carry performance. Travis Etienne fully took over the backfield. It didn't even take half a season uh, for him to be a full-blown bell cow uh, because that's the type of player that he is. And James Robinson got shipped out to the New York Jets because that's the type of player that he unfortunately is now uh, with the Achilles. And now we have two players that we have long faded over at the Bulletproof Industrial Complex, sharing a backfield together in James Robinson and Michael Carter. Uh, and we have Travis Etienne on all of his glory. Am I a little sad that we had to sacrifice Brees Hall in the process? I, I am. I am I am sad about that. But I'm focusing on the positives. Yeah, it, it is a sad day for Brees Hall stands. I just I want to like I didn't know you were going into this right away. We didn't the Matt, I just need you to know this is not how the show sheet was instructed, but uh, I need to add this in because Jacob went for it and now I'm all in. This fantasy receipts account came out. You you've probably seen it on Twitter, right? And they started pulling some of my receipts and I was like, hey, wait, like this, this we're not ready to like take an L here. Like you're you're jumping the gun on this. And then uh, I think it was maybe the third one or so of mine that they pulled. I was like, you're like you're gonna get receipt like inception receded here because you're pulling my receipt too soon like this this is absolutely gonna play out in my favor and here we are uh october when was this october 7th or sorry let, let's go back to this august 29th 2021 i had said what if and wait for this because it's a real kicker james robinson was always a trap and then fantasy yeah, receipts, yeah, definitely always was yeah fantasy receipts comes back they pull my receipt what if i'm like okay fair fair what if and then fantasy receipts receipts has arrived on the scene to save the day october 24th 2022 what if on the what if from fantasy receipts so we are experiencing fantasy receipts inception live and in color if that's how the saying goes i'm not really sure anyways it's really hilarious because of all the tweets that they pulled on me as a gotcha well, it was too soon. It happened to be James Robinson, and I love it because they would never pull my fantasy receipts on James Robinson for being awesome and a great pick back in waivers of 2020 when I was telling you to go get him. But uh, once I didn't like him anymore, and he got too expensive. Once he got too expensive, then I didn't like him as much anymore. And then we had to flip him to a cell, and then it, ETN got drafted, and then ETN got hurt, and then Robinson got to fulfill his you know, role as the unquestioned bell cow and put up like a completely middling RB2 season 
with no competition, which is exactly what I said would happen. Either he gets replaced or he's just completely ordinary from here on out. And then he was ordinary, then he tore his Achilles, and now he is out of here. And receipt deception is my favorite thing of the day. And that was yesterday, actually. So it was my favorite day yesterday. Anyways, tell me more about Travis Etienne. How high is the ceiling today, right now, moving forward? How is he going to finish the rest of the season? How many points is he going to score on a per-game basis? Um, I think probably in the high teens. I think like 18, 17, 18. So you like you think he's going to be right in like Jonathan Taylor range? <laughs> that's that's uh, I, I heard Jonathan I, Taylor's I, generational. And now you're out here saying that Travis Etienne is going to match Jonathan Taylor, the generational one? I mean, I would, I would argue that Travis Etienne was potentially a better prospect from a fantasy football perspective than Jonathan Taylor. This is madness. You can't say those kind of things on the air. But, I mean, look, I, I, I got plenty of things wrong in my life. One of them is that John Ray Swift ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor in the 2021 draft. Or 2020 I'm, I'm draft, sorry. To, uh, submit this to fantasy. The, the difference is that I, I'll actually like own to being wrong about that Swift over Taylor take, whereas you'll say that it was actually the correct take all along. It was the actual uh, correct take all along. Great, great point. Uh, no, I think that Travis Etienne, so he's been like – when everyone's asked me, what do you think of the ETN start? And I've had such like kind of mixed reactions almost because, you know, it's, it's been a mixed, it's been a mixed bag. I think what I've settled on was like, he's exactly what Travis ETN has always been, which is in the best and the worst ways. Like he is unbelievably electric. And you see that he's, he's third in the NFL right now in rush yards over expectation per attempt. He's I think first in the NFL in yards per carry. Um, the guy is having like a 40 yard run every single week, which is unreal. Um, his acceleration is insane. Like even plays that didn't go anywhere. He had one where he got a sweet play yesterday and it looked like he was going to tackle for a six yard loss. And he just turns on the afterburners from almost stop and races around the edge. He ends up getting three or four yards, but it was like probably should have been a loss of six. I mean, you can obviously see why Jacksonville was like, okay, we need this guy in our offense instead of James Robinson, because every single time that ETN touches the ball, he's liable to completely flip the field. That being said, he's also like so tilting because I mean, he's had just some, he had a horrific fumble in this game that he like lost off of his knee at the three yard line. Uh, it's really sloppy hand positioning on his, on his receiving work. And I think like he, in theory, I think he can beat at every down back. I think the fear that I had for the start of the season is like, where's the coach is going to come down, right? Are they going to, crave the big playability are they going to invest in developing this really unique one-of-a-kind young player who has traits that most players most human beings just aren't born with the ability to go that fast that quickly from a stop uh you know or are they going to get frustrated they're just going to you know hand it head in old reliable and honestly i'm just remarkably impressed with the coaching staff that they're like you know what we're two and five we have this really special athlete he's 23 we're just going to throw him out there and we're going to work on developing this guy because this guy can be a difference maker in our offense instead of feeding half the carries to the reliable guy who we're going to get walk at the end of the year. And I mean, ETN's ceiling is sky high because realistically, the only thing I think that's preventing him from being a 20 point per game back perennially is has been touches, which he's now presumably just, they, this team was like, yeah, we want to get this guy more touches. We're clearing out the decks for him to get as many touches as he can handle. And then the receiving work, but he's, a lot of the receiving work is honestly like on him. Like he's been such a, so efficient when he gets the ball because he's so incredible in space and he gets really creative receiving usage from Doug Peterson. It's just like, you know, catch the ball, bro. Right. That's really, that's really what's holding him back. Honestly, is the inability to catch the ball consistently to not use his alligator arms for hands. So I think that, uh, 
I think that the stuff that he can't do is very fixable. And the stuff that he can do is not teachable. And ultimately, that's just the kind of profile that I think is pretty exciting to buy in on, especially when it's backed by draft capital and fantastic college production. And now a team that is clearly very committed to using him. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, like I, I think probably somewhere in the high teens in terms of uh, fantasy points per game is probably what I would be expecting from Travis Etienne at this point. Um, I think like I think he could be completely exceptional if he you know hits a hits a lucky touchdown run or something or like, like run of touchdowns, not like a singular one, like a bunch of them in like a Jonathan Taylor esque uh, 2020 one kind of fashion where he scores 21 fantasy points per game but he'll be a little bit more explosive i think in the passing game it's he's he's such a unique prospect actually travis Etienne. i remember uh going back and or not going back but like going back in time and remembering what happened back in the draft process with travis Etienne. he had a very odd profile a good profile like he was a bulletproof running back which is really good there's not that many of them it's like 30 and like 18 years or something so it's a it's a pretty rare feat to have a bulletproof running back but Travis Etienne was one of them and like yeah so I remember being people saying like he's he's soft he gets tackled easily and then also saying like he's really hard to tackle and all this other stuff and I was like this just doesn't make any sense he, but it doesn't really matter I'm just reminiscing now of hilarious uh takes from back then what really matters is that he's super explosive and he's going to score a probably above average number of uh you know long touchdowns or long runs or long like you know catch it at the line of scrimmage beat a player and go for 80 yards for a touchdown like that's kind of his his forte uh when you were describing the james robinson versus travis etn thing with travis etn being like this special athlete that you know has god-given talents that only he can possess it was really reminding me of two years ago or i think it was two years ago maybe three years ago now deandre swift and carry on johnson and carry on johnson is like coming off <laughs> injury with like, this massive knee brace, <laughs> brace. Like, i can't do that like I can't, I can't do what he's doing that's that i can't do like that's james robinson watching travis Etienne in practice every day like I, i'm coming off an achilles injury and like i couldn't even do that when i was healthy and it's just beautiful. Anyway, Travis Etienne, really uh, strong player. Goodbye in Dynasty, I think. I, I panicked on Travis Etienne early in the season because they yeah, gave and him. Then I said, and what did I say to that? I said, don't panic. You did say, don't panic. Uh, they gave James Robinson so much work that I was like, I can't just see them ever just not giving him work. And then here we are six weeks later and they've traded James Robinson and we don't have to worry about him being a thorn. Like I never, I never, sorry, let me, let me back up. This was never a James Robinson is good take. It was a James Robinson is going to be a thorn in the side of Travis Etienne in a way that's going to prevent him from being a bona fide superstar. That thorn is gone. And I'm pretty sure James Robinson is probably toast. Like it, pretty much every metric that we look at, he's like bottom of the league coming off an Achilles injury. Cam Akers is like bottom of the league coming off an Achilles injury. Maybe these Achilles injuries are just actually like career killers. Like everyone said they were. And, uh, I'm probably never going to be on the side of buying Achilles injured running backs in the future because now we've seen yeah. two good ones, or at and, least well, no, one, ones no, we've seen one good one, right? Like Acres. The thing about Acres is like he was never good. Um, no, I'm not saying yeah, I buy into Acres. No, he was a good prospect, but yeah. Acres has never been an efficient NFL runner. Um, he got a lot of volume, and that was awesome. And I don't really worry that much about rookie running backs being inefficient unless they're like 
ghastly levels of inefficient. Yeah. Uh, because if they get a bunch of volume, they tend to increase in efficiency over time. And Akers had a really strong college profile. His efficiency is not. That being said, he's like he was never. We never had a baseline of Akers as like being a guy who was crushing advanced rushing metrics. So like it's plausible that he was just always not that good. That's but true. James Robinson um, like crushed in. Uh, well, his rookie year, he was like above average. And his second year, he was phenomenal in almost any advanced rushing metric you look at. And then he tore his Achilles and now he's ass. Um, and so like, I do think for sure that there's something there. Uh, and it's that he doesn't have an Achilles tendon anymore. And, and I'm more yeah, like, there's I mean, something that buying. isn't there. Hi-oh. There you go. So no, I'm, I'm just not buying these Achilles guys again. And I think that this Robinson thing was like a great example where, he, everybody was so willing to accept that he was back early, and he had those two long runs where he got these wide open holes, and he kind of lumbered into the end zone. And I remember, I think it was like he wasn't good. He, like you looked at the advanced stats, it was like this guy sucks. And the thing about Etienne is that he was doing really well, right? And what's what's so exciting about Etienne, I think, is like I think people viewed him as like almost like a disappointment because of a lot of the expectation from the summer was, oh my god, Robinson might not even play this year. Right, people are like this guy might not even play, and then all of a sudden, Etienne is like totally splitting time. He's even playing less snaps, and it was full blown panic. People forget this is essentially Travis Etienne's rookie season. I mean, he never played in the NFL last year. He's also coming off of a fairly severe foot injury. So the fact that this is like the first seven games of his NFL career, and he's one of the most efficient backs in the NFL, and he went from being like the one B in a timeshare to an eighty percent snap rate within seven weeks, like. We're allowed to just be really excited about that. And we're allowed to not nitpick that he dropped some passes or fumbled a ball. Because again, this is the first seven games of his NFL career. Like we're allowed to get really excited about young players that are super athletic and awesome that make some mistakes in their first seven games of their NFL career. I, I saw there was an interesting uh, Peter Howard and I were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter, the great Peter Howard. Um, uh, for anyone listening to the audio version, I just did my hat tip. Uh, my hat tip gift to Peter. Uh, he is on the other side. He thinks Travis Etienne is a big sell. And what we realized though is that, like, while he thinks Etienne's a sell, and I think he's like a hold or a buy, that we did agree in one circumstance, which is selling him for a similarly productive running back rest of season plus a first, if that's doable, is an interesting idea. And we sort of reached this thing. It's like, okay, you know, if Travis Etienne's a top five running back, what does that mean? And do we like how fatalist should we be? Do we want to hold any young running backs in Dynasty anymore when they get past a certain value? Or should we just no longer be excited about running backs like Travis Etienne? I think uh yeah, like it really gets to it comes down to where his price tag gets to is really where where all the decision points have to be derived from. Because if he is valued, say, in a place where you're able to get like a superstar quarterback, then or or like easily can get into a superstar quarterback, like, oh, I'll give you ETN and I don't know, Jahan Dotson, and you give me uh I don't know, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or something like that. Like if he's in that kind of range, then I'm pretty interested in offloading Travis ETN. But if he doesn't get to that range, then I'm not as interested. Uh and even like if I could get into like easily into like a Jamar chase or Justin Jefferson or something like that. We're, we're just getting a lot more stability at the stability in terms of like injury risk and longevity and where we have a pretty good idea that the player is exceptional. And I think running backs get overvalued in that sense. Like we see these unexceptional running backs shoot to the top of value boards everywhere. And then it's just a matter of, okay, well time to cash out now because now we're holding a ton of injury risk. 
if Travis Etienne, you know, tears his ACL tomorrow, then we're looking at a tremendous amount of value lost and production lost. And therefore, I'd rather flip it into like a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson or heck, like Kyle Pitts. I know like Kyle Pitts isn't going to score points this year. I just want everyone to know that. Like it's over. The We'll talk about the Falcons later. But like it's over for Kyle Pitts this year, but it's not over for Kyle Pitts' career. And Kyle Pitts is going to have a probably Travis Kelsey-esque career. So if I could take my Travis Etienne and I'm not like a super competitive team right now, I happily flip that into a Kyle Pitts plus because I'm pretty sure you can get something on top of of pits for etn right now so anyways um yeah e- etn just really comes down to what where, where his price settles what about uh what about kenny bullets well kenny bullets is an interesting case where you know him and etn are have been the two guys that are ascending right all these young running backs are being taken from us uh like reese hall like cam Akers, like jk dobbins like javante williams but the two that have really stepped up are Kenny Bullets, aka Kenneth Walker, and Travis Etienne. Let's just take a quick time out and reminisce of the time that nobody else in the world calls him Kenny Bullets. Right. So we will like, make it popular. Except for like us and like the six hundred. Have we told the story on the show of how Kenny Bullets became is that is that of like how that became his nickname? I'm certain that we have, but you should probably just tell it again because there's probably a new person listening, like one new person one listening. New person. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that it, the way that this became a thing, was Kenneth Walker. We were once talking about in the Discord, uh, like well ahead of draft, like probably like two months or so ahead of draft, uh, and like because I didn't even know who the bulletproof running backs were at that point. And I assumed that Hall would, of course, be bulletproof, and and you'll know how far along this, how far ago this was. I was like, and clearly Spiller is bulletproof. Uh, and then Drew was like, yes, Hall is definitely bulletproof, and absolutely Isaiah Spiller's bulletproof. Uh, but also Kenneth Walker is bulletproof. And I said, what? How can this be? He's never caught a pass in his life. In fact, he plays with clubs for hands. Um, and anyway, we had this long debate about uh, about Kenneth Walker. And essentially what it came to is I started calling him Kenny Bullets um, because, you know, I thought he was the opposite of bulletproof. And then all these smart asses in the Discord were like, that's actually not the opposite of bulletproof. He should be Kenny Permeable. Um, and that's a stupid nickname, but Kenny Bullis is swag. So anyway, so I like it because uh, it's more like bulletproof. But uh, anyway, so Kenny Bullis. Interestingly enough, as much as we famously argued about Kenneth Walker in the off season, we didn't even like have him ranked in a different tier, so we didn't really disagree all that much. And did then we, we both have him one hundred and three? I, I can't remember. No, I, I did not. No, I had him one hundred and five, but I, but we had him in the wow, same tier. That's like like catastrophic failure on your part. That was a terrible ranking. No, it was the correct Shame ranking. He just got really lucky in the better Shame running back on the team on broke the you. leg. Well, he got lucky that the best better running back on this team broke their leg. The audience is, is shaming you right now. The world is shaming you. I'll take the shame. This is um, Matt, could you overlay some shame on the video, please? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing with Kenneth Walker. He has – Kenneth Walker, like the Rex Grossman-led Bears on Monday Night Football against the Cardinals, has so far been who we thought he is. Uh, because he so far in two and a half games of the lead back three games. Now he's been over 50% snap rate, which includes the game that Penny left early. And then his two starts, he has rushed for a ton of yards, especially a ton of yards per carry. He's been one of the most efficient backs in the NFL. He creates big plays at a very high rate. Uh, I have some quibbles. Sorry. Like, 
you're like, this is who we thought he was. I would like to point out, this is not who you thought he was. No, I thought he's a good runner. No, you were like, I don't know. Like he's only ever had one season. For Duck. No, I, I, you don't know I will literally good. pull the quote. I said the most likely outcome is that he is a fantastic rusher. And I'm, I'm just not 100% convinced that's the only possible outcome. Spreading the gospel, Kenny Bullets, fantastic runner. I'm also still, I'm I also kidding. think he's like pretty overrated as a rusher. I think that he does a lot of damaging stuff behind the line of scrimmage. And he's he does all the things play. that you like, all the fancy metrics that you're in love with. He's just smashing them to pieces. I think he's and big player line. Whatever. Point is, he's a very good rusher. I think that he needs to clean some things up behind the line of scrimmage, but he's a very good rusher. Uh, that being said, in this process, he has caught two passes now in three games for nine yards on three targets. Um, and so that was the other aspect of so were like Ken Walker, uh, you know, probably a great runner, probably not a great pass catcher. I mean, Agreed. on the bright side, I would say that he has essentially confirmed that he is indeed a really high level rusher. And while he has certainly shown nothing of the fact that he's going to be a high level pass catcher, it would certainly be more likely that from this point in time forward, he becomes a high level pass catcher than that he loses the ability to run the football. So I will give him that much. That being said, is Kenneth Walker just who we thought he was? And if he is, as he skyrockets towards the top of the dynasty running back rankings, would you not be very tempted to say like pivot laterally to DeAndre Swift or Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or Travis Etienne or any of the above? Or, you know, what we always want to do, of course, is just add a little, go get Jefferson, go get Andrews, go get an elite quarterback. But what, where are yeah. you at right now with Kenneth Walker? So my stance on Kenneth Walker was that he has a very low ceiling and I'm not that interested in his low ceiling, but I don't really care because it's his rookie year and people are going to get out over their skis if he flashes in the rushing game and they're going to say he'll learn to catch or it won't matter. He's so good. It won't matter. He's Derrick Henry. And that just is probably not going to happen. So my stance was simply we're going to buy him in the rookie draft at 103 where he should have been drafted. And then we're going to wait. And as soon as he like pops and the dynasty community says, we don't care that he doesn't catch passes, we're going to flip him. And that's where we're at right now. I just checked in super flex leagues, KTC keep trade cut now has Kenneth Walker as a first round startup pick. And that is absolutely certifiably insane. They should be thrown into the Arkham Asylum and, uh, like this is this is awful. You cannot have a player with two receptions in three games playing the running back position at RB three in the world. Like I would have rather had Najee Harris last year with his monster workload than I would have rather have Kenneth Walker with his elite efficiency right now. Like last year, like Najee Harris is obviously toast now, but last year when he was scoring quite a few points and had the giant workload and had that like nineteen target game. Like that, that, that Najee Harris, I would rather have at that time than I would rather have Kenneth Walker today. And I did not want Najee Harris. Like, I, I would like that to be pointed out that I so much did not want Najee Harris last year at this time. And I want Kenneth Walker less. And I think that is that, I just, uh, that I'll disagree with. I like Kenneth Walker more than I like Najee Harris this time last year. I mean, Kenneth Walker, because Kenneth Walker like is good at football. So here's my quibbles with Kenneth Walker. So I, I think that he's pretty similar to Javante Williams, albeit Javante Williams showed a lot more as a pass catcher. But I think that where he is similar to Javante Williams is that now here's things things you're not going to care about for 5,000. But uh, Kenneth Walker in his debut game, this is like a great encapsulation of what I've seen watching Kenneth Walker both on film and college and in the NFL. 
is he had the seventh lowest among qualifying running backs, which is 10 attempts in a given week. Uh, seventh lowest successful success rate, right? So he had the seventh lowest rushes above expectation percentage. And then he had the third most uh, rush yards over expectation for attempt. So to me, he was dancing too much in the backfield um, and he was causing negative plays, but he was so skilled that he was really maximizing those plays. Now, Javante Williams was a little bit different in that Javante Williams was also having those same issues in the backfield. He was breaking a million tackles like Kenneth Walker, where Kenneth Walker goes beyond Javante is that while Javante breaks those tackles and then usually gets tackled from behind, Kenneth Walker will house it because he has so much more explosion. Um, Najee Harris just doesn't on the same level of talent frame as Kenneth Walker. Like they don't play the same game of football. Najee Harris is a plotter uh, of the highest level. And Kenneth Walker is just so much more special of a talent. I don't think that Najee Harris is locked into anything for the foreseeable future beyond the latent consent to his touches in terms of draft capital. Like I look at Najee Harris, you know, the way that like you look at expired milk where it's like, (laughs) where it's like, I know that the best before date isn't accurate, right? Like if you drink milk one day after the best before date, it won't kill you. And then if you drink it two days, like it won't kill you. And then like each additional N plus one day, I don't necessarily expect it to kill me, but like I have to acknowledge that it gets more possible each time. Like, I don't expect at any given moment Najee Harris to just all of a sudden lose his job. But if it ever happened, I couldn't blame the coaching staff for doing it either. And, like, I, my, like my thoughts are, like, do you ever really want to hold a running back at, like, round one pick or higher value when you're like, man, if this coaching staff just benched this guy, like, I think that would probably be the right decision. Like, I don't really like, I don't want to be doing that. Kenneth Walker, I don't think we're going to ever have that conversation about. Like, no, he's no, going to no. be a guy that earns his touches continuously. So I would rather have Kenneth Walker than Najee Harris by a pretty pretty steady margin. Um, that being said, I, I wouldn't rather have him than DeAndre Swift. Catch a lot of passes. Uh, I would rather have Travis Etienne. I thought about this one a lot in the last couple of days, and I would rather have Travis Etienne. Um, although I think oh, it's absolutely. close. I didn't even know that was a question. Of course, he want Travis Etienne over Kent Walker. Um, and I would rather trade Walker for CMC or, or Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, they're obviously older. So, of course, I'm not doing this on a rebuilder. If you have Kenneth Walker, you're not trading them for no. Saquon Barkley or CMC. But I think that's, that's a, a suitable option in a, uh, in a competitive team that you could 100% get done right now. And, I mean, the biggest thing I'd want to do is, like, I just – I just want to trade him. I want to see what I can add to go get Lamar or Kyler, both of whom have been struggling for a lot of this season. Um, you know, I still want to get in on one of those two break fantasy rushing quarterbacks. But I will say this, like it's only been three games. I I don't want to fall into the I don't want to be a victim of confirmation bias, right? Like if this kind of works both ways. Travis Etienne had a stronger pass catching profile, right? And to be clear, he's had a much better pass catching profile so far in the NFL than Kenneth Walker has also, but it hasn't been what I hoped it would be, but I kind of look at it and say, well, it'll probably get better because he had a a pretty strong profile. Um, Or with Walker, I don't want to fall victim to where I'm like, I didn't think this guy would catch passes first two games of starter. He's not catching passes. And then just right off the possibility of it happening. Like, I think it's important that when we see priors in action, we say, okay, this is this matters, like this is relevant. But at the same time, I don't want to just exclude it from the possibility of ever changing in the future. So I, I, I do want to be a little bit cautious on Walker, but I don't think the market's being cautious. So I'm, I'm probably just selling. Well, that's it. That's exactly it. Is the market is not reacting to him not catching passes. They're reacting to unsustainable efficiency that is just not going to continue forever because it never does. And like 
honestly, last year, Jonathan Taylor was doing similar things, like an outrageous yards per carry, a whole pile of touchdowns, really long touchdown runs on repeat. I was like, he's not scoring. Like, he's not supposed to be scoring 21.7 points per game. He's supposed to be scoring 19.7 points per game. And when you're only scoring 19.7 points per game, that's still really good. Don't, don't, like, don't get me wrong. That's not bad. It's just not last year. There was a point in time where Jonathan Taylor was being valued at the same or more than both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in super flex leagues. And I was shouting from the rooftops. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. You should know that was insane. It was absolutely insane. But I just want to touch on something because you said it and I just laughed internally. And now I need to laugh out loud. You said that Lamar Jackson is struggling for most of the season. Lamar Jackson is actually scoring recently. He's been struggling recently. Oh. He's scoring like yes. if you look at his entire season right now, he oh. is scoring the most points per game he's ever scored other than his MVP season. Lamar Jackson's oh, yeah. struggles are outstanding. Just go buy Lamar Jackson. Oh yeah. No, I'm with like I, he's been struggling recently, which is why I think you might go about like we just had on the full tilt podcast. We had this big Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson full tilt podcast. Sorry? Did you say we just had him on the full full, full no, tilt? No, we had a Lamar Jackson argument on the full tilt oh. podcast. Are you kidding me? Do you think yeah. that I would spend any time with you if we just had Lamar Jackson on I our podcast? I was like, I wow. Would, I mean, I, I would be here. Me and Lamar, Jacob's guest. Let's go. Oh my god, I would do anything to have Lamar Jackson on my podcast. Jeez. Uh, no, I think we had this discussion, and and Tom was a little a little panicked on Lamar Jackson, and Billy and I were not. I mean, I think this whole Lamar thing is is a sequencing issue, right? On the whole season, he's been phenomenal. He's been 22 points per game in four-point touchdown leagues. Uh, he's clearly... 23 right now in player profiler, which is outstanding. Okay, I think everybody calculates quarterback scoring. 23.3, I think it might depend on how you count quarterback scoring. I have things inputted differently. I, I, don't think they do the, I don't think they do much for INTs. I don't even know if they okay. count INTs. Anyways, the moral of the story well, is... He's been Depending on your scoring settings, he's probably been between 22 and 24 points per game. Using player profile, 23.3. That's phenomenal. I think it's just the sequencing where, you know, he basically ran really, 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 really hot for two games. And then he ran ice cold outside of that. And if you just sort of mellow that out, or like if you just intersperse instead of the hot games being in weeks two and week three, if one's in like week four and one's in week seven, you know, we feel better about Lamar Jackson than we currently do. So um, don't, fade like what just happened immediately last week uh lamar jackson had 16 pass attempts this last week uh and he's never been beneath 29 in any other game this season and other than week one he's had at least 59 rush yards in every game so if you play in a four-point passing touchdown league that's like lamar just starts the game with a touchdown and a half essentially just like by virtue of his rushing um so you yeah definitely this is way off topic, but as always, we always need to figure out a way to stay in and say to buy Lamar or Kyler. Um, yeah, that's true. Especially Lamar. I, um, I want to talk more about this Lamar thing because not, not necessarily what we're talking about, but I want to sure. piggyback off of Lamar Jackson into another topic. Okay. So Lamar Jackson went to the NFL draft and he re- represented himself. He didn't have an agent. Okay. And teams were like, Hey Lamar, how do you feel about playing wide receiver? He's like, I'm a fucking, sorry. My grandma listens to the podcast. Grandma don't listen for a few minutes. Lamar's like, I'm a fucking quarterback. Like get off my get off my back. I play quarterback. I don't play wide receiver. And they're like, "Hey Lamar, this team I draft you play wide receiver." He's like, "No, I'm a fucking quarterback. Like get out of here. I'm a quarterback. I play quarterback." And then now we are seeing the same thing happening with none other than Elijah Less. They're like, "Hey Elijah, you're the you're the stretch guy. Just run down the field real fast, and we won't throw to you." And he's like, "No, I'm an X receiver." 
They're like, no, run down the field real fast, and we won't throw to you. And he's like, I'm a fucking X receiver. Throw me the ball. Play me at X. Play me at X. Play me. And he's on he's on Twitter, and he's saying things, and people are upset. And I'm just like, hey, New York Jets, A, play him at X because that's where he's good. And B, if you're not going to, trade him while he's still his value. Why are you tanking his value? He's not helping you win games, and you're ruining his trade value. You're you're doing everyone a disservice in this whole situation. You're like last year, Denzel Mims, they were like, hey, you know what, Denzel? You had gas station sushi. It's just not working out. You're going to have to sit this one out. And then he sat out the rest of his career. And he was like, hey, listen, I want to be traded. And they're like, no, Denzel, you're better on our bench. In fact, you don't even get the dress. Go sit in the stands. In fact, don't even sit in the stands. You can, we might give you a passing into the building. We'll see. And now they're doing the same thing with Elijah Moore. The difference, of course, is that Denzel Mims was always going to Boston. It was, it was, it was uh, inevitable. That's what it was. It was inevitable. And Denzel Mims, then his value tank, and nobody wants him now, obviously. Which is like, well, if you were never going to play him, why didn't you just trade him when he actually was going to get you something? And now we're doing the same damn thing with Elijah Moore, where they're like, hey, Elijah, listen, like, we're not going to play you in your proper role. We're going to play Lamar Jackson at wide receiver. And we're also not going to throw you the ball. And also at all, like they, they targeted him zero times the last time they let him play football. Like that's a catastrophe. They, they were running reverses with Braxton Berrios. Like if you're going to design a touch for someone, why isn't it Elijah Moore? Yeah, or Garrett Wilson, or like, or or Brees Hall, or like you know anyone with Braxton Berrios. I would even take Corey Davis at this point over Braxton Berrios if you're going to run over. That's maybe. Are we having the Elijah Moore conversation? Is that the? Yeah, we're into Elijah Moore because you brought up Lamar Jackson. That was me, but sorry, Matt. Anyways, you brought up Lamar Jackson, and I was thinking about this thing about how he's like, no, I am a fucking quarterback. Blame me at quarterback, and Elijah Moore is just quietly out loud, quiet quitting on the Twitter. So. This is what's crazy. Is like, I thought I'd be buying a bunch of Elijah Moore right now, um, but I, I'm struggling to buy low on Elijah Moore. To be honest, like people still have, seem to be assigning like at worst like early second value to him. At least in my leagues, I think his his army of truthers is pretty high. Well, honestly, I think him like pulling this stunt has like almost raised his value because I was able to buy him more when he was just being bad. And I was not able to like use him in trades. And then he pulls this uh, like trade request. And I don't know if it's the people think he's actually going to get traded or he's going to get the squeaky wheel or they just like are happy to like have some sense of knowledge that there's other people who don't think this is normal. But so I, I actually, I thought I'd be trading for him this week. I traded him away twice. So I, I traded, so in one league, I traded Javante Williams and Elijah Moore, and I got back uh, Josh Jacobs, Chris Godwin, and Alexander Madison. Um, and in another league, uh, I traded away Elijah Moore and uh, your other favorite, both both members of this Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman debate. I got rid of both of them. Uh, and I also traded a 24 first. Uh, and I got back, of course, my favorite player, uh, AJ Brown uh, and Brandon Cooks. Uh, and a 23 second. You tra- Wait, you traded Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman, and you got A.J. Brown and Brandon Cooks? Well, and I traded away a 24 first, and I got a 23 oh, second. Yeah, I like that's amazing. Good for you. Shame on whoever made that trade. Uh, Matt, can you get the shame, shame <laughs> gift going again, please? 
Just point is, people, people still, and not on me. I didn't do that either. But it, like, anyway, like, point like, is, people still value Elijah Moore, so I can't yeah, buy low. Yeah. But I'm just selling, I guess. I don't know. It sucks. I think that Elijah Moore, um, my thoughts is Elijah Moore is just part of a crew of young wide receivers that I always want to buy when like bad things happen to them. Like either they run yeah. really cold or they get injured or their team hates them or whatever. And I would throw guys like Ayuk into this. I would throw like Jerry Judy into this. I think there's like a bunch of these wide what? receivers. Yeah, he is just admit it. He literally has like as many targets as Cortland Sutton in the games that they played together. And he has a lot higher target share and more fantasy points than Elijah Moore this year. Uh, but there's like all these young wide receivers who are like interesting enough that I think they're like good enough that I want to buy if bad things happen. But A, they seem to almost never be available as much as you think they would be. And then B, they're always the guys like they're the first, they're the first, they're the first out, you know, like look at this example, right? It's like, I want, I wanted to accomplish something. I wanted to go buy a top end wide receiver um, in this case on this team. And it's like, who do I want to use? Like, do I want to use my 23 firsts? Do I want to use my 24 firsts even? Like, no, I really want to use like Bateman and Elijah Moore because I want to get rid of these wide receivers that aren't providing a ton of value for replacement. So like, I'm okay to buy Elijah Moore, but I only want to buy him at like late two prices. Like I want to buy him for prices where it's like, if you get a good player, that's a massive win. I think like selling an early two for Elijah Moore is like counterproductive. It's like you're you're selling what's almost was probably a good player, but has a higher tail chance, I think, to be a, a great player at this point for a guy who's probably just a good player and has and now even has some risk attached. So I don't know. I'm probably not like I'm probably not buying unless I'm actually getting a real a real discount. Yeah, I'm probably not buying Elijah Moore for early second straight up. I think I think early second value isn't terrible. Yeah, there's always, there's always players that you can use to buy these guys. If, like if I could take my Jerry Judy and go and cash him out for an Elijah Moore, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would definitely rather have Jerry Judy. You'd rather have like a guaranteed 20% target share, just completely ordinary, like five, four, as five. Opposed, as opposed to Elijah Moore is like what, 6% target share? Well, we don't really know what's going on with Elijah Moore at this point. Jerry Judy, we are pretty sure exactly what we're getting, which is complete and utter mediocrity, no matter what. And and we don't even know that Jerry Judy is any good, like ever. We've never seen him be good at football. That's that's not true. He had an exceptional, exceptional age nineteen season at Alabama. If we go back like six years, Jerry Judy was a phenomenal prospect. And then if we just ignore everything that's happened since then, we could still paint a case that we would like Jerry Judy, but we can't, we can't ignore everything that's happened since then. Okay. So I'm going to do some quick, I'm doing some very impromptu, impromptu math here. Okay. Okay. Hit me. Uh, you should, you should riff on, on the next topic while I do this math actually, because it's going to take <laughs> a couple minutes. Just talk to myself. Okay. What is the next no, topic? You should just talk at- about something and then I'm going to, you should talk about something while I, I do this math. Either that or Matt can just cut this out of the episode for one second. Right. No, no, I'm going to talk about something. I'm going to talk about Elijah okay. Moore and where I think okay. that I would like to see Elijah Moore go. There okay. are only a number of opportunities where I feel like Elijah Moore would be an exceptional acquisition. And I think number one on that list is obviously Green Bay. Everybody's going to say Green Bay. That's too easy. We're not going to we're not going to say Green Bay. Pretend that never came out of my mouth. I just want it to be on the record that it was the first thing out of my mouth. The next, obviously, best place for him to go, I think, is Probably like I really want to see a good wide receiver. Like like I I like Jacoby Myers. I like Jacoby Myers as much as everyone else likes Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers isn't a difference maker. He's he's a dude that's pretty good. He's an above average NFLer, and that's what he is. 
I would love to see Elijah Moore go to New England, play alongside Jacoby Myers, and just completely dominate that passing game. And I think, like, Mac Jones is – I don't know what's going on yesterday with Mac Jones. But uh, I, I think he's, like, fine. He's probably, like, an average NFL quarterback, which is kind of what I think he's been for quite a while. I'm not, like, going to be out on the streets, like, go and sell – Mac Jones because he sucks. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I'm also not going to buy Mac Jones because I know he's not score points because he doesn't run. Although I, did, I think he did have a couple of rushes last was it this week? Like in the first couple of plays, he must have had a few yeah, rushes. Yeah, his ankle apparently was too hurt to play over Bailey Zappi, but he wasn't too hurt to run, that's for sure. You know, it's interesting because I saw him come off the field uh with his ankle issue, and it looked as though he had, you know, just had his foot amputated, like with no pain uh like medication whatsoever like nothing just like cut his foot off on the field it was it was like saw is what it looked like based on the expression on his face and that was that was too bad for him and uh obviously the foot was still the ankle was still injured when he came back it forced him into throwing that interception which is what caught the ire of bill belichick and here we are now in a bailey zappy is it zappy yeah zappy bailey yeah, zappy he, I wish it was Zap. I kind of like Zap better anyway. Like Zap? Or... Just like, yeah, just Zap. Like, oh, Bailey. Oh, he's Zap. Look at that. Zap it in there. It's like Zip, but just a little cooler. Anyway, moral of the story is I just want to see Elijah Moore play in that offense. I think he'd be a really uh, a really good spot for him. Plus, he'd get to stick it to the Jets a couple of times a year, and we've seen him go on Twitter and like have a personality which I think would make for some pretty great fireworks in the rematches with the Jets over and over again. Plus, yeah, uh, I like that. Sauce Gardner. Is that no? Is that his name? Sauce Gardner, quarterback. It is. That's his name, Sauce Gardner. Yeah. So he he's out on Twitter being like, uh, "What's uh, what's the thing I really hate that people do when they tweet at you but they don't like at you? I, I can't remember what it's called now. A subtweet." So he's out there subtweeting Elijah Moore, his teammate. He's subtweeting Elijah Moore on Twitter, being like, I don't know, some Bible verse about like being part of the team. I, I forget how it worked exactly. And then Elijah's on his like uh, fake account, and he's like, "Hey, sounds like you're talking about somebody in particular here." It was it was great. I like. I, I just want to see Sauce Gardner and Elijah Moore lined up across from each other twice a year for the next ten years. And the animosity that will brew, it's like there's no better landing spot for both TV viewing and for Elijah Moore's fantasy production and for the benefit of the New England Patriots quarterbacks. Like it's a win, win, win. Everybody wins. New York media wins. New England That's media true. wins. We like it's just it's it's match made in heaven. Anyways, have I filibustered along enough? Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, him. Uh, yeah, I am ready. And what I'm ready to tell you is that uh, through each of their first two years of the NFL, uh, Jerry Judy kicks Elijah Moore's ass. I was pretty sure that was the case. I just wanted to like make sure. Jerry Judy had a higher first-year target share, and Elijah Moore has like 8% this year. By the way. Right. So, so 0.214 targets per route run, Jerry Judy, versus 0.189. We're not uh, buying Elijah, Elijah Moore. Moore because of his sophomore year. One point seven. Okay, but uh, – okay, wait. So – but they're but they're like rookie years were comparable. You just don't like yeah. Jerry Judy. And then we saw like, two years of Judy doing the same thing. 
He's not right. progressed at right. all. He's and, the same and Elijah Moore, we saw now him getting he get worse. <laughs> so I, I feel like I feel like one guy started here and then he stayed here, and the other guy started here and then he went here. And you're telling me you want this guy? Well, that yeah, I want the guy that has like the wide range of outcomes. <laughs> Because because his, his range of outcomes I can includes, cut him in two years. In like his range of outcomes year. includes I, being I can't cut Jerry Judy in one year. He's gonna be out there collecting twenty percent of Russell Wilson's targets for a completely ordinary and un like a completely irrelevant number of fantasy points. Oh, so you're just the roster He's going to rise to the top because that's what bulletproof sophomores that had excellent rookie years do. And that's oh, what I'm, I'm leaning into. And if Elijah Moore busts, so be it. I'll drop him and pick up a friggin' backup running back. I can't drop Jerry Judy. You're not dropping Jerry Judy. Nobody's no, dropping I'm not, Jerry Judy. I'm not dropping Jerry Judy. I'm trying to sell Jerry Judy. It's oh. tough. It's tough Anyways, out there. I just said 8% target share. And I, I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about Najee Harris. We're going back to Najee Harris for a quick second. Do you know what his target share is this year? Uh, it's probably just something sad. It's like 8.8%. It is beautiful. I love it. It's awful for the record. Like it's absolutely awful. And I just want to stick it to the Najee stands that like really let me have it last year. I got like some really bizarre like victory laps on me on my Najee take that was he's gonna be a back end RB1. And then after this year, who knows? I'm terrified. That was preseason. And then that's exactly what's happened. And I there's nothing more fun than victory lap Najee season. Anyway, back to Elijah and where do you want Elijah to go? Uh where do I want Elijah to go? Um, and I'm not allowed to say the Green Bay Packers because that's too cliche. Yeah, it's way too cliche. I would like to go to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Matt Stafford's washed. I don't think no. Matt Stafford is like he might be a little washed, but Matt Stafford can support fantasy options, man. I mean, he's still supporting the ever loving shit out of Cooper Cup, and he has Tyler Higby as a top half uh, tight end one this year. So I, I think that there's a lot of value to go around in that Rams passing game. They also don't attempt to run the ball, nor do they run the ball effectively. Uh, and I think that would be a nice spot for Elijah Moore. Tyler Higby has 10.6 fantasy points per game. That's the role that you think that Elijah Moore is going to come in and benefit from? No, I think that he's going to be better than Tyler Higby and Allen Robinson and Bennett Skoranek and all these other guys that are just getting funneled volume because they can't literally all go to Cooper Cobb. I well, think, no, I think Jr. went there and did nothing almost. Odell Beckham Jr. was fine there. He had like 15 points a game, 14 points a game. On like eight touchdowns in like four games. He well, just you know what? I, I bet it would be nice for Elijah Moore to be in an offense that scores touchdowns. Like New England. Well, that was too cliche too. I already took it. You had to pick a new one. I get it. The good options were gone. Okay, and fine. How about this? I'd like him to be on the Colts because I think he's good and I cheer for the Colts. With Sam Ellinger, get out of here. Can we actually can we talk about that? I didn't have this on the show sheet, but Matt, I this want to is talk not about the, the Colts. Sheet. Matt, sorry, Matt. Hashtag sorry, Matt. Let's go. I want, talk about the I want to talk about the Colts for a little bit because the Colts did something that absolutely shocks me, but also like in the best possible way. <laughs> they decided to sit Matt Ryan's dusty ass on the bench and start Sam Ellinger uh, this week. I don't even know if it's pronounced Ellinger or Ellinger or Ellinger. Nobody um, does because he's and I che- literally cheer for the team. So that's that's how embarrassing that is. He's never played um, football on TV. Nobody knows how Sam to Sam Ellinger has like lived between a fifteen and twenty percent rushing yards market share in college, playing at uh, Texas and then eventually going to Louisiana Tech, I believe. 
Is that right? I just kind of pulled that out of my ass without actually cross-referencing that he transferred to Louisiana Tech. Did he indeed? Uh, that doesn't sound familiar, but he may have. I don't really follow guys that like get drafted in round 17, so I'm not sure where he, got, where he played. I know he played um, in Texas, for sure. I thought he played in Texas the whole no, time. No, he just played at Texas. Yeah, he just yeah. played at Texas. There must have been somebody else that transferred to Louisiana Tech that I'm thinking of that served at Texas. But uh, yeah. Sam Ellinger... Uh, oh, that was, you know what? That was Jeff Driscoll, I think, is who I'm thinking of. That's sort of the Florida, and then he transferred to Louisiana Tech. And they're yeah, kind of the why same. Why do you like, even follow these guys? Well, they're like, like the because Sam Ellinger and Jeff Driscoll are like the same guy. They're like these highly touted high school recruit who went to a blue blood school and Rick is a white dude who run a lot, um, but it isn't very good. Uh, was, it, was Ellinger a five star? I, I, I don't know if he was a five star or a four star, but he was definitely like well thought of. Uh, he was a four-star prospect. Yeah, he was a four-star high school prospect. But yeah. Jeff Driscoll was a five-star high school prospect for anybody out there in the Jeff Driscoll streets. Uh, point being, first of all, Sam Ellinger is like worth 100% of your dynasty fab in every league, right? Yeah, I I emptied the clip on him in uh, in Scott Fishbowl as well. So don't tell everyone because I need to get him because I have Matt Ryan and it's going to ruin my life if I don't get him. Oh, yeah. You took Matt Ryan like the third round or something crazy. <laughs> you took like round seven or eight. Or How is your. I, okay. So your Scott Fishbowl team is still in first place in division, but I of think it's it going down because your Scott Ender Solaire no longer has a job. Uh, Sam what? Ellinger is now very necessary to you. I think we're, we're reaching the end here. Thank, thankfully. I'm Marcus Mariota. What are you talking about? Marcus Mariota, season-long starter, just as predicted. And yeah, I have style. Deshaun Watson coming for the playoffs just to carry us to the ship. And uh, that's all you really need. I, I I think I'm already in the playoffs. I don't think I need probably. to win another game to get in the playoffs. That's probably true. So so there's nothing I can bid on Sam Ellinger. I, mean, I shouldn't even bother putting in a bid in, in the Scott Fishball on Sam Ellinger. Probably not. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't have said that. I emptied the clip on him. I also emptied the clip, but I think you have a bigger clip because I, I took a lot of my clip on Taylor Heineke last week. Oof, that's rough. Yeah, I didn't well, on him because he's not very good. So, uh, no. Point is, I think Sam Ellinger is like legit. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's legit. I think he's a legit <laughs> empty the clip option because I was just about to lay into you for saying he's legit. No, <laughs> you are not getting away with that. No, I think he's legitimately awful, but I, I think that he's worth spending 100% of your fab in every dynasty league because he's yeah. like a quarterback that now gets half a season to audition to be their starting quarterback. Uh, and he probably won't be successful in audition, but you never know. Um, and he <laughs> runs a lot, so he's probably going to score fantasy points anyways. Um, yeah. And and if there's anything we've seen in this year's NFL, like, I don't know, I always shout out uh, Ben Gratch on this show pretty often, but he had a really great post about quarterback mobility, and, and he was like, pretty much every team this year that is surpassing what we thought of them coming into the season has a mobile quarterback, right? Daniel Jones and the Giants. Uh, Marcus Mariota on the Falcons, Geno Smith on the Seahawks. Like, there has to be something to this idea, especially in the way that NFL defenses are covering teams these days, that even though scoring offense is down as a whole, these teams with these mobile quarterbacks that can force defenses to play 11 on 11 are having offensive success through unconventional offenses. And I think that for the Colts, this is a win win scenario because they clearly were going nowhere fast with Matt Ryan this year. So if you want to do the best thing you can to go seven, eight, and two, because they probably have another tie game, uh, you start Matt and Ryan. But if you want to, if you want to embrace the tails, if you want to chase our tails, as we were once almost called, Sam Ellinger is the way to go because this only goes one of two ways, right? Either 
having this mobile quarterback somehow unlock something in your offense and you actually start finding success. And I mean, that would be cool. Um, or he's a total dumpster fire. Um, and then you get a better draft pick. And like both of those things are a lot better than just playing out the string with Matt Ryan. So you could also uh, just play the string and he could be completely ordinary and they neither win nor lose. I mean, that's also probably another option, but I think you, you definitely increase your odds at one of the yeah. two better ones. No, so I, this I, is fun. So like, it's not good for Michael Pittman though. That's for sure. I'm pretty into the Debbie. I don't watch the games. I don't really follow what's going on, but I like watch the watch the metrics that I care about a lot. And in Sam Ellinger's draft year, which was I think two years ago, if I recall correctly, 20, yeah. 20 or twenty twenty one. I think it's twenty twenty one. He was like really popping in the things that I look at, and there it was go. exciting. And then he like like no, he got no like actual draft type. Like nobody went was around like, seven. Oh, yeah, he went around Sam seven. Ellinger, or Dark. No, he went round six. Never mind, he went round six. Sorry. Like yeah, round six compensatory pick. <laughs> like was, yeah. Eh. But like nobody was like, oh, Sam Ellinger, dark horse, late first round pick. Like it could happen. Nobody said that. So I was like, okay, well, it's over for this guy. I don't really care about him anymore. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, like he was just rushing a ton. And like his passing stats were pretty decent, but like nobody cared. Like absolutely nobody. I didn't see a single film scout being like, I don't know, this Sam Ellinger, like he's got some tools. Nobody said that. <laughs> nobody. Absolutely nobody. <laughs> And now here we are two years later and we have Matt Ryan on the bench. We have Sam Ellinger inserted into the starting lineup. And now all I'm thinking is I, I famously, famous, infamously, absolutely infamous, my most infamous flip of all time, turned heel, touted Michael Pickman Jr. this year. And now we lose Matt Ryan and we get Sam Ellinger. And now I'm sitting here thinking, oh, man, this could blow up in my face. <laughs> yeah, well, you made a bad decision and you're going to pay the consequences. You, you thought doubting Michael Pickman Jr. was a bad decision? I think doubting Michael Pittman was a good decision. I think coming around to Michael Pittman oh, was a bad decision. That was a huge mistake. Michael Pittman's playing really well. He's doing. I was. I was. No, Michael Pittman is playing okay. Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman is. Yeah, he's fine. And and you were too low on him at one point in time. He's, he's and then you went way too high per game. He's wide receiver twelve. What are you talking about? He's not doing fine. He's doing great. Michael Pittman right now has a one point six six yards per route run, and he has a targets per route run at 0.206 okay now for reference who is this next wide receiver that i'm going to describe okay he's the same draft class as michael pittman remember michael pittman 0.206 targets per out run 1.66 yards per out run Are you this next guy one point, this next guy is 0.196 uh jerry judy uh oh yeah he was the same draft class but no this next guy is 0.196 targets per out run 0.166 Tar, uh, yards per route run and then this other guy who we'll call rary rudy um is a 0.209 uh targets per route run 1.76 yards per route run so michael pittman has both a lower targets per route run and a lower yards per route run than jerry judy and he has basically the same targets per route run and yards per route run as darnell mooney he's Here's not that good michael pittman jr has a 24.0 percent target share and yes because that rhymes a scramble 15.9 fantasy points per game which is pretty, pretty good. Now with Sam Ellinger, I'm not sure that's going to be 15.9 points per game anymore. And and Michael Pittman Jr. has only scored one touchdown in six games. So it's not like Michael, he's been propped up by touchdowns. My, Michael, Pittman been, up. Michael Pittman's been propped up by multiple 50-plus pass attempt games in which the Colts ran a zillion plays because they had weird game scripts. Uh, Michael Pittman's per-route matrix make him look entirely ordinary. 
Uh, and now there are no more 50 pass attempt games in this future with Sam Ellinger. There might be some 15 pass attempt games in this future. Uh, yeah. So now Michael Pittman, like he is, he is clearly in this class. When we look at these, this wide receiver class, he is in a class hanging out here on a pro basis with the likes of Darnell Mooney and Jerry Judy. He is clearly behind the likes of CD Lamb, clearly behind the likes of Jalen Waddle, clearly likes Amon Ross Brown. It was a complete joke that he was ever in this tier. Jalen Waddle and Amon Ross Brown aren't even in that class. The, no, and like in terms of like the dynasty landscape, like uh, this, these are guys that Michael Pittman was valued around. If you had Michael Pittman, you could have added like not that much and then gotten one of those guys. He should have just been valued there like he was, and he's scoring 15.9 points per game, which is pretty good. This is you're like putting on a blindfold. And you're seeing the stat that you want to see, and you're ignoring everything else. This he is you. 10.2 targets per you. game. Yeah, right. So why are you so hesitant to argue anything that isn't just based on inflated pass volume from scripts? Because you know that it doesn't support. You're just looking at the raw numbers, and you're not looking at the per route metrics. Look at the raw numbers. That... I'm looking at target share. It's 24%. That's a targets per freaking pass attempt. Because he runs every single road. Yeah, that's one of the features of Michael Pippen Jr. When you're 6'4", 220 pounds, you get to go on the field all the time. Have you ever heard of Gabriel Davis? He runs every freaking road. And he doesn't have a 24% target. <laughs> and you know, who's, you know who has more yards per route run this year? The Michael Pippen? Gabriel Davis. And it doesn't matter because you know who has more fantasy points scored per game? Probably Gabriel Davis. Michael Pittman Jr. By like what? Like 0.1? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love what the Colts are doing, but yeah, it's probably bad for like every Colt, right? It's also probably bad for Jonathan Taylor. He's not going to get as many targets. Everyone involved. Um, yeah, Jonathan Taylor really had bad. like six receptions last week for like yeah. 15 yards or something. That's never going to happen again. Like, thank yeah. you, Matt Ryan. That is that is your contribution to fantasy football this year is just like literally – like, do they even count as passes at that point? They I'm do surprised. in PPR leagues. Yeah. Anyways, Matt Ryan probably washed. Uh, yeah, he's probably probably never, is he ever going to start on a NFL game? Probably mm-hmm. not, right? It's Matt Ryan ever going to start again? Oh, I think he's going to retire after this. Like, I can't imagine he's going to go somewhere else. Well, he's not going to retire because the Colts owe him $12 million next year. <laughs> well, so if they, if re- can, can they cut him? They can cut him, and then they still have to pay him $12 million. Yeah, so they'll cut him, and they'll pay him his $12 million, and then he'll retire. And- right, but he can't retire because then he wouldn't make the money. But uh, he can just like but well, he can just sit, sign but he, can, he can sit on a couch for a year, and make $12 million, and then retire. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what will happen. Unless, unless he really wants to stick it to the man, he got done dirty by the Falcons, got done dirty by Sam Ellinger and the Colts. Maybe he's just well, like the Falcons. A bitch. The Falcons made the correct decision. It looks like. Well, I would say that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> the Falcons made the right call. I, the Colts have a really bad track record. Like, remember when this Ballard fella was like the sharp of the sharps for well, like so- literally trading down to pick Quinton Nelson, and like that's it. Right. That so all, all three of this, well, no, he had the, so he crushed that whole draft, right? This was his yeah. first, this was, or no, actually it wasn't his first draft, but it was his second draft. Um, his first draft, he drafted Bully Cooker in the first round, who was like really good. And then he got a million injuries and then he wasn't good mm. anymore. Yeah. Um, but his, his second class was like this wizardry class, right? He gets, he trades down from Darnold. He gets Quentin Nelson, who now is actually like really overpaid, um, which is why you don't give set contracts to guards. But anyway, he was a great pick. And then he gets Braden Smith, who is also a really great pick, who is now really overpaid in the second round. He gets Darius Leonard, who is a really great pick, who is now really overpaid in the second round. Uh, and then he also uh, drafts Naheem Hines in the fourth round, which is a nice hit. 
Uh, and who else did he get? He got at least one. Oh, he got, I think he got Bobby, uh, Bobby O'Karake in that draft too, in the third round, if, if memory serves. That might have been the next year. Anyway, he had this phenomenal uh, first draft class. And then since then, his draft class has been okay. Uh, he's hit on a couple guys, hit on Pittman, he hit on Taylor. Uh, but what I would he say is that for Jonathan Taylor. Like, it was a terrible like, decision, but. But this, this goes to my point. This goes to my right. But this goes to my point, right? Like what Ballard has been good at is like scouting players, right? Like he picks good players, but he's terrible at everything else. Like he doesn't. He's not good at maximizing the value of picks from a trading standpoint. He's not good at assessing which positions matter. And while he's gotten so much credit for like avoiding bad contracts in free agency his lack of aggression for agency hasn't still meant that he doesn't just vastly overpay for a bunch of non-premium positions, second contracts that he drafted, um, which is currently killing their cap. So he has not been a good general manager. Uh, he's a really good scout. And I think that in his next job, he will probably work in uh, scouting and he'll probably do very good for that team. But I, I don't think that he should have his hands on the strategic commands of the organization any longer. I, as a fan, at least, I really hope he is terminated this year. See, and it's interesting because you're like, he's a really good scout. And I'm like, ah, he picked like none of the players that I like. So I don't really think he's a very good scout. So, But they're all good. Paris Campbell? Well, Paris yeah. Campbell's bad. Actually, maybe he's good. <laughs> Eventually, he's had a couple of good games. Have you right seen now. anything a lot? Well, now that Matt Ryan's gone, there's not going to be those like one no, I mean, passes anymore. No, I think, I think, so I don't know. I think he is like. Alec Pierce? Like, is Alec Pierce good or is Alec Pierce just a guy in an offense right now? I mean, Alec Pierce is like one point below Michael Pittman and t- targets for a run right now. Yeah, but he doesn't get to go down the field because he's not that good. He gets to go down the field a lot. He's always so going why down doesn't the he field. have more fucking targets? Because he doesn't, he doesn't get to play enough routes. Because they want to keep giving rest to Paris Campbell. Because he doesn't get on the field that much. I thought he said down the field. Like he goes down oh, the on the field. He doesn't get on oh, the field. on the field. Okay. I mean, he's a rookie, so let's give him some time. He's got a thirteen percent target share. He's doing nothing. Point one nine targets. Eighteen point six percent target rate. That's not even good. Number sixty-seven in the world. In the world. <laughs> Yeah, if you think about I mean, if I had the 67th highest target rate in the world, yeah. I'd be bragging about it, but that's different. All right, that's enough, that's enough cold built different. Uh, the one guy that we have not talked about yet is Brees Hall. Um, so I want to talk about Brees Hall because he suffered a devastating injury. Uh, I'm devastated. Yeah, I, it is devastating. Um, but one thing that's fascinating is that I think Brees Hall's trade value is higher now than it was before he entered the league, which is crazy because he played seven games and then tore his ACL. He was that good. You should see what happened to Alvin Cook after four games. But uh, what do we think we're doing with Brees Hall right now? Let's say, first of all, you're a contender. You had Brees Hall. What are you selling for if you are selling? And then second of all, you're a rebuilder. You're trying to buy Brees Hall. What are you buying for? Because I have been very confused about my thoughts on Brees Hall. And I will get to that in a second, but I'll, I'll let you open up. So Brees Hall is phenomenal. He's a better prospect than almost anyone we've seen come out in many years. Uh, it, well, I mean, if you count the Saquon Barkley year as many years ago, then that would be true. But he's the best prospect we've really seen pretty much since Saquon Barkley. I, I like him very, very much. And uh, anyway, and then he comes out and he's he's pretty exceptional. Like he was getting a ton of passing game usage. Um even from like like they had some really high pass attempt games with Joe Flacco, and he was getting 
quite high percentages of those high pass attempt games, which is pretty good. But uh, anyway, so he's like using all phases. He's he got hurt and he dropped fifteen hundred KTC points. That is a lot of KTC points to drop. That's keep trade cut for those that are new to the show. I often reference that until I get it through my thick skull to go to fantasy calc. Anyways, the moral of the story is Brees Hall is now hurt. He's not going to play this year. He's probably going to suck next year. And what do we do? Because ACLs, by the way, have their two-year injuries. We missed a year, and then we spent a year recovering, and then finally we're back to normal. Thank God for Brees Hall this happened in his first year and not in like his second year, like J.K. Dobbins, because now J.K. Dobbins has one year to prove it before he gets to sign a second contract. Brees Hall luckily gets two years to prove it before he has to sign a second contract. He might even get extended before his final year of his contract if he plays really well next year or in uh, two years. Anyways, Brees Hall... I feel like I want to buy him in every single league. I don't care if I'm contending. I don't care if I'm pretending. I want to buy Brees Hall because he's very good at football. But here's the problem is he's very good at football and he's very valuable. He's Even with the reduced price, he's still a very high priced asset. He's number 18 in startup rank uh, per keep trade cut, which is pretty high for a guy that's not going to play well for probably two years. I think... Guys like him don't really become available unless there is an injury. Um, so if you want Brees Hall, you probably have to just fork up the premium to get him and then hope that it bounces back. Usually we do see these guys bounce back with uh, with value as they enter the end or as they like re-enter play the following season. And then it slowly whittles down if they don't play well or, or they keep getting injured and that kind of thing. Like like look at Saquon Barkley. Yeah, that's, that's the weird one for me is because like – Coop and I were going back and forth on Brees. And, you know, he presented me with the very logical heuristic, which is that when a player is injured, they will always be worth more at the conclusion of the season, right? And it makes sense because every player's value is a function of their productive value in the current year to some extent. And Brees Hall doesn't have that anymore. And so he should have be a higher value relative to other players afterwards. And so, like, yeah, in theory, you should be able to sell for more, but you can also sell for a lot right now. It's weird. Like, I, my, my stance on Brees Hall, I think he's like probably a little bit overvalued right now because people are just so excited to even have the opportunity to trade for him. But I also think that he'll probably be even more valued, pr- probably later in the offseason. I just think then it's probably likely to fall in season. And then probably by 2024, 20, it all pays off. But it's like, do I, how much of this ride do I want to be on, right? Like, do I want to be holding all this time, tying up all this value in a player who might not be difference maker and producer, or do I just want to like, take my chances to buy back in in the middle of 2023 and sell high enough that if he does just come out and ball out next year, like Adrian Peterson, that I'm not going to be kicking myself too, too much. Yeah. As with everything, it depends on what you can get for him. If you can get something really, really shiny for him, I think you absolutely have to do it. So I sold Brees Hall twice today. What did you sell him for? So I had Brees Hall on two teams that were uh, very much contending. One, one was like, well, one I would say is like maybe like maybe more of a middle of the road contender, um, but I'm also waiting on Deshaun Watson to come back. Uh, the other one is like clear favorite number one seed uh, team. So I traded Brees Hall in uh, on one of those for DeAndre Swift straight up, and then the other one I traded Brees Hall and Khalil Shakir for Ceedee Lamb and a bunch of fabs so that I could potentially bid on Sam Ellinger. So essentially, Brees Hall for CeeDee Lamb, and the other one was Brees Hall for DeAndre Swift. Uh, I was pretty happy with both those, and I have a feeling you will like the Swift one, and I have a feeling that you won't like the Lamb one, but you're wrong. Oh, I like the Lamb one. Why wouldn't I like the Lamb one? 
because you hate CeeDee Lamb. You think that he's a racist, xenophobic, uh, sexist, terrible person that has offended you in many ways. Are there rumors out there that he is racist, xenophobic? No, absolutely not. He's a great guy. I just assume that that's the rumors that you started. What? I didn't know about all these rumors. No, there's no rumors. I'm sure he's a fantastic guy. You are the one spreading the rumors. I am spreading slander about you. About me? Yeah, I'm spreading slander about you, spreading slander about CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb was my number one ranked prospect heading into 2020. Into the draft of 2020. Then he got Is drafted. Jonathan Taylor of wide receivers, where it's like a guy that you liked, but then, but yeah. then you live long enough as a hero to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was out on the streets being like, CD Lamb, wide receiver one. And then, like, I changed after the draft because he got drafted by the Cowboys. And I was like, I don't really love that. They already have a bunch of wide receivers. I feel like he's going to be third fiddle, which is exactly what he was. And then he was again. Oh, he, was second fiddle. He, he, was, he was better than Gallon. I don't really care what he was in terms of the number of fiddles because his target share was super low. It was like 17%. It was like lower than Elijah Moore as a rookie. And that's a problem. It's true. That's a problem for me. So then I was kind of like, yeah, you guys are getting crazy. You're putting him at like wide receiver one overall after his rookie year was 17% basically. Was that after his second year? I can't remember. I think it was. No, maybe he was like top 10 after his rookie year. And then he was number one after his second year with like 20%. And like splitting targets with like Dalton Schultz. Like if you are a true bona fide alpha to the core, you're not splitting targets with Dalton Schultz. Stop it. And they just didn't do that. And then they got rid of Amari Cooper. And then I was like, you guys are still valuing at like wide receiver one. It's really rare to go from like 20% to like 25 plus in year three. I'm just not sure it's going to happen. I'm just going to wait and see. And then a curious thing happened, a wonderful thing. What ended up happening was that C.D. Lamb went out and commanded just like an enormous target share. He was like, hey, everyone, throw me the ball. Waterboy, throw me the ball. Coach, throw me the ball. Like Everyone was throwing the ball. And he got like a 30% target share in like the first couple of weeks. And I was like, okay, it happened. Like, we are now in on CD Lamb. And then I went and checked his price tag, and his price had fucking plummeted. And I'm like, okay, you guys, like, this is broken. Like, we, we can't get to be right. And then we get to be right again when we were wrong. Now we're like, let's go get CD Lamb. Like, his price is like where it should have been at the start of the season. And now he's doing the thing that he should have been doing the whole time. And nobody cares because he's not being efficient. And efficiency is so volatile. Well, so now, now we're the new narrative. The new narrative is that um, someone said CD Lamb is toast for this year because Dallas's defense is good, and so they won't pass anymore. I like just. just I got I got CD Lamb two weeks ago for Rashad Bateman, Daniel Jones, and Daryl Henderson. That's amazing. I've been trying to buy some CD Lamb, and I haven't really gotten any legitimate like uh, interest in selling him from anyone. So I kind of give up, but uh, maybe I'll try again because if now the defense is too good, they went up the I think well, I think this is a great time to buy because Dak came back and then CD didn't really do anything. But it wasn't his fault because they just didn't throw a lot of passes because it was a weird game because like Detroit fumbled on the one-yard line and they kept fumbling. Um, so Dallas didn't run a lot of plays. And then uh, – and so CD didn't really perform. But he still had like I think a 25% target share thereabouts. Uh, same as he's been for most of the year, even a little bit below, and he's gonna have big games. So I would, I would definitely be buying, buying some CD. Hey, 
Um, I think we talked. Do you have anything less on Brees? Because otherwise, I have one one other thing I want to talk about, which is uh, a team yeah. that we hate very much. I think I think it's for Brees. It's just like it, like what can you get if you can get pre-injury pricing on selling him? I happily do it. If you can get close to pre-injury pricing, I sure. If you can get a good player, like if you can get CD Lamb, who's probably going to produce for the next two years. Who's the worst player you would take for Brees Hall? The worst player I would take for Brees Hall. Uh, maybe like. Uh, would you trade Brees Hall straight up for Chris Olave? Oh, no. What? I would much rather have Brees Hall than Chris Olave. I just, I just wanted to confirm that you're still completely wrong about Chris Olave and that you're way yeah. too low on Chris Olave. Did we confirm yeah. that? Okay, it's good. Yeah. You know, if I was going to chase high efficiency, I would not. High efficiency? He has, like, he has a really high target share. I know. On like a 19.0 target depth. Do you know how unusual that is? Do you know how impressive that is? They have a stat for that. It's called Whopper. He's probably like leading the NFL in it. He probably is. I, I just I'm I'm not uh, I'm not sold on Chris Olave yet as as like a genuine difference maker. I'm very sold on Chris Olave, the NFL player. He's like a like his absolute bare minimum floor is Jerry Judy at this point. So okay, so you're saying that you would like Chris Olave more if he earned the same amount of targets but on a lower ADOT. Yeah, if I could get Chris Olave playing a normal NFL role, but this doesn't make any sense. That, okay, but the, so the reason why we don't want higher A dots like this in a vacuum is because normally it doesn't. It, normally, it comes with a lower target share. Yeah, yeah. But if he's just commanding a massive target share and it's coming on a really high A dot, you just get the best of both worlds. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to continue because it's it, like, this never happens. This is the most bizarre thing we've Wait, ever seen. Your, your reaction to someone posting an elite target share on a super high ADOT is not, man, this guy's as, really as good. As a rookie, no less. As, as a, rookie. a rookie. Right. It's not, it's oh my God, this guy's incredibly special. Instead, your reaction is, I don't know, the ADOT's probably going to stick, but uh, he's not going to earn targets anymore. This guy's just uh, probably just a 20% win sprinter. Yeah, it's probably, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it's he's going to be a target share player. I'm saying he's not 100% in at. Like, this is the Chris Olave that we're going to see forever. We don't know what we're going to see from Chris Olave because it's definitely not this. He's probably not going to have a 19-8 on a 28% target share. That's that's pretty true. Yeah. He's probably just going to have a 28% target share on, like, a 15-8. I don't know that he will because he's, he's, like, can he win in those areas of the field? I don't know. Like, over the course of a season, can this, he... This feels like you're really searching. Like, I, this this feels like... What do you mean this feels like I'm really because, searching? Because if, Dra- because, if Dra- because if Drake London had a 28% target share at a 19 ADOT, you would be like, oh my god, this guy's whopper is so huge. Drake London, he's got a massive cock. He's an alpha. Uh, absolutely wide receiver one overall. He's so much better than everybody else because he's earning all these targets at a really high ADOT. But instead of Chris Olave, like, I was also too low on Chris Olave. Hands up. My hand is up. I was too low on Chris Olave. I... I apologize. I repent for my sins at the church of Chris Olave. But to still be like, oh, I don't know, his ADOS too high and he's earning too many targets, that's that's bad. That's bad. This is bad. This is a bad take. It's not bad. It's, it's bad. just not bad. We need to see more from these players when we don't know that they're good. Like We, know that we really know that he's good. We know that he's good. Like We know that he's not, I don't know, Justin, uh, fuck, what's the guy's name? Uh, we know that he's not someone terrible. Who's someone terrible? Quick, name about. He's, we know he's not Jerry Judy. Like we know that. So, like at this point, we can just say, okay, he's not Jerry Judy. He's probably better than Jerry Judy. But is he Calvin Ridley? Maybe he's Calvin Ridley. He could be Calvin Ridley. 
That's possible. I mean, he could also just be Justin Jefferson. He's probably not Justin Jefferson. I mean, he's probably not Justin Jefferson, but there, he, if, if he was going to be Justin Jefferson, this is probably how he would start his career. <laughs> if he was going to be Justin Jefferson, this is probably not how he'd start his career because he'd play in the normal quadrants of the field. Right, so your your issue is that he has too good of usage. No, I don't I like eighteen Adon players. I've never liked eighteen Adon players. Yes, There's never been don't draw targets, so he's the in best the history of yes, the world. He's... Never because been a draw targets, but he does never, never, never. You're, you're, like, you're letting the cart. You're letting the cart before the horse. You're letting the cart before the horse. Go and buy an eighteen Adon. Yes, because they all don't have target shares that are high. He does. Yeah. For so now. Why you, well, why, okay, but why do you think it's the target share that will regress and not the ADOT? Well, it could be either. He, he could very well keep his target share and just get a lower ADOT. Right. But so there's essentially three options. Number one is the target share comes down. Number two is the ADOT comes down. Number three, I guess there's four options. Number three, it just stays exactly as it is. And number four, they meet in the middle somewhere. Could you imagine um, if it stayed exactly where it is? I would he'd be the like, dynasty wide receiver one overall. He'd be the dynasty wide receiver one overall of all time. Yeah. And, and you're saying that you don't think he's even like in the same tier as CD Lamb? He's definitely not in the same tier as CD Lamb. And he's he might right. be the dynasty wide receiver one of all time. And you're not. He's not to going to be. That's what five. I'm saying. It's so unrealistic to say yes. This is well. Th- what has so happened? You're fading Chris Olave because he's too good. You've never seen it. He's too good. That's your problem. You're fading Chris. You're fading <laughs> Chris Olave because he's the best wide receiver of all time. That's, Chris Olave is better than Jerry Rice, and you're saying that's the problem with Chris Olave. That's why he needs to be faded. That's yes. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Look, this Chris Olave take that you have is absolute madness. Okay. Uh, I will put my hand in the air. Uh, shout out to my buddy Zach. If you're listening to the show, I will literally message you. It's at minute 78 of this show because Zach had Chris Olave as his number two wide receiver in the class. And I was like, Zach, you're so bad. Clearly, Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks are a lot better than this guy. London's a lot better than this guy. This guy's kind of a beta. He's probably like wide receiver five, wide receiver six in the class. And he's just been like messaging me every time Chris Olave catches the ball. And it's been so annoying. I, I like literally like have to like block his number on Sundays because of all the Chris Olave uh, propaganda that I get. He's catching um, so many balls. Yeah, because like the Chris Olave industrial complex uh, just bombards me. But like, I mean, it's warranted. The, the guy, look, I think you can make an argument for Drake London over Chris Olave for sure, because Drake London is like That's only awesome. getting cocked by his offense, but his per route numbers are just as strong. But like, if, and Garrett Wilson, I mean, Garrett Wilson, I think is defensible over Chris Olave on the basis that their usage on a per route basis has been similar enough. And if we had strong enough priors about Garrett Wilson, we could still, I think, maybe prefer him over Olave. But like, it's not close after that. I mean, we're talking about 2.46 yards per up run. That is elite for any wide receiver. That's like one of the best wide receivers in the NFL good. And he was a productive rookie. This isn't like a like Henry Ruggs level rookie who's like breaking out of nowhere. He was a productive rookie. The only reason we weren't that big on him was that he kind of plateaued and then he stayed for his senior year. But he wasn't a terrible prospect. He was a good prospect. And then he's yeah. absolutely bowling in the NFL. Chris Olave is clearly a top five dynasty wide receiver at this point in time. Jesus. No. Or, well, that's probably a dumb statement because no. there's like there's like ten top five dynasty wide receivers. You, he's, one of the ten top, he's one of the ten. He's one of the ten top five dynasty wide receivers. He's probably top fifteen, maybe top ten, maybe. Okay, Chris Olave or Devontae Adams? Uh, is my team winning or not? 
Yes. Is that because I have Chris Olave on it? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'd probably be there about even, I would say. Chris Olave or Amon Ross St. Brown? Amon Ross St. Brown. Wrong. Chris Olave or T. Higgins? Pass. Pass to Chris Olave? Like 19 yards down the field, 28% of the time? What is he at now? On keep trade cut? No, no. What's his uh, ADOT now? Well, 16.5. It came so far down in one game. Look at that. And yet the target share did not come down. Fascinating. Fascinating development. You know, it's funny because there was all these vacated targets last year and nobody got any, and now Chris Olave is just vacuuming them up. I, You know, this is a crazy stance that he might be better than Marquez Callaway. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe <laughs> he's got this far. All right, Michael Thomas will be back this week, so that should be – well, maybe he'll be back this week. Maybe he'll never play football again, but uh, that should be interesting to see. I'm glad that we got some Olave because I wanted to, as Cooper would say, get your insane takes on paper. I will make sure to <laughs> this is not send on paper, that out to the film. I feel like – I feel like with Chris Olave, I am I'm not convinced. That's really what it comes down to. If you're right, if this was Drake London putting up an insane target share and an insane A dot, I would say that's okay. The A dot will come down and the target share will stay because we know that Drake London is good. And I think that's perfectly fair. We are sticking to priors on a rookie's first seven games but, of his career. Okay, so that would make sense. Obviously, I moved him up. Right, but so but sticking to priors would like make sense if he was like a bad prospect, but he wasn't. No, it was never that he was a bad prospect. That he's fucking tiny. He's 180 pounds or something. Yeah, you're. Oh, so this is this is heightest. He's six foot 185. If he was like five pounds more, he'd be an alpha. What? No, he wouldn't. Get out of here. Stop it. Isn't six feet 190 your cutoff? No, six foot 195 and 26 BMI. This guy's so far from being an alpha. But the NFL's changing. Maybe this is it. Well, Maybe Chris Olave is a UFL. If he was like, 195, then he would be. Uh, if he was 195, he's six feet, so then he would have a 26 BMI. Yeah, if he's 10 pounds heavier, sure. If I was 10 pounds lighter, that'd be great. <laughs> well, you could give it to Chris Olave. He did it to himself. Chris Olave, if you need some nutritional advice, come to me. I know how to put on a quick 10 pounds. I got you. I got you, buddy. This is, this is egregious. You're fading and he's too good funny. and he's too skinny. It's actually funny because I really liked Chris Olave uh, last year when I thought he was going to come out as a junior. Yeah, I was like pounding the table. Like, we need Chris Olave. Like, he's producing at Ohio. Then he went back to Ohio and was like completely like, man, this is fine, I guess. And then he came out and he got drafted like 11th overall, which I thought was an egregiously high pick for Chris Olave. Like, that was so high. And then now he's just dominating. And maybe I just need yeah. to eat the L. But I'm not going to do it. You need to eat the L. You really need like, to eat the L. I'm going to let reception. Or, uh, re- no, fuck. What are they called? Reception, um, perception. No, no, not reception, perception. The, the receipts, fantasy receipts. I'm going to let fantasy receipts, receipts pull the receipts. I'll and then I'm going to wait. I'll send this video to them, actually. As as I'm going to yeah. wait and see if receipt inception hits again. And then if it doesn't, I'll, I'll take the L. No, you definitely need to take the out. I'll send this to fantasy receipts for sure. I'll just I will just post this. Um, I bow down, Chris Olave, at your altar. I'm very sorry for not having you ranked in uh, my rookie top five because you you sir are a god. Um, I want to stay in the NFC South with our last segment. All right. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons are really a disgrace of a franchise. An absolute disgrace of a franchise this week they reached lows that i did not know 
honestly existed uh, for any team in the NFL, quite frankly. I always have worked under the baseline that teams, however misguided, do try to win. And I think it was one thing in the games that the Atlanta Falcons were winning uh, when they were running the ball incessantly, sometimes even 14 consecutive plays with designed running back handoffs. And you could say, okay, look, do I think this is productive to their long-term success? Do I think this is like a way that you build your franchise? No. But I understand that if you are short-sighted and you try to just maximize your chance to win the game at hand, maybe you think that's the way to do it. Okay, fair enough. How can I argue? They are winning more games than they expected. But in this game, I have never seen such an emphatic embrace of beta behavior since Albus Huxley's Brave New World. <laughs> like, the funny thing about it is that people on Twitter who were so mad at me in my mentions, defending Arthur Smith, he's just playing a win. He's just playing a win. Where are you now? Where are you now, you hip... Where are you now, you hypocrites? Because I guarantee you that the Falcons will be back here in two weeks throwing 15 passes, beating the Panthers 13 to 10, and all these people will be like, Arthur Smith, man, he's just getting it done. He's just getting the most out of his guys. But don't you forget this moment, because in this game, they trailed 21-0 almost immediately. They trailed 35-17 to in the fourth quarter. Okay? They had a negative 21% pass rate over expectation. That's the second lowest in any NFL game this year. I believe it was only behind uh, the Bears in the absolute monsoon game. Uh, they have now had four games consecutively. 15% or more under expectation pass rate. Only two teams in the entire NFL, other than the Falcons, have more than one game with a 15% pass rate under expectation. That's the Bears and the 49ers. And one of their two games was the monsoon game on both accounts <laughs> against each other. So the Falcons <laughs> have now looked at the Bears and said, like, you guys pass too much, actually. You guys are far too aggressive on offense. Why would you put the ball into harm's way? And I had, like, football guys on Twitter. I had an actual argument with a football guy on Twitter saying, Arthur Smith's just putting his players in position to succeed. He doesn't think that they can win down three scores in the fourth quarter. That's why they don't pass. He doesn't think that they can hold up. He's going to put them in position to succeed. That's the mentality that he wants to create. Apparently, the mentality that he wants to create that some people online see validity in is that they can't win games when they fall behind. So thus, they should not try to win games. This isn't about fantasy football. This is about no longer trying to win football games. Arthur Smith has abdicated his role in determining the winner of a football game. He's essentially testing a theory to see if we only run the ball, if we abdicate any responsibility for determining the outcome, how many games can we win solely by the failure of the other team? It's uncompetitive. It's it's fatalist, and frankly, it's unproductive for growing a winning culture, for growing a winning program, or for supporting any of the development of the players who will be a part of your program for longer than just this year. Instead of focusing on the development of two top 10 pick potential stars in Kyle Pitts and Drake London, instead of attempting to maybe develop a quarterback that they drafted in the third round this year, they are instead trotting out a retread veteran quarterback who they clearly do not believe in, such that they have that they have designed their entire game plan around hiding him as much as possible and feeding a cacophony of mediocre day three and undrafted and converted linebacker running backs, actual multiple converted linebacker running backs on this team that get carries um, at the complete expense of trying to win football games. Essentially, if Arthur Smith was running a startup firm and had 17 
opportunities in his first year to go and try and raise capital for his startup operation. Rather than actually trying different things of seeing what works and try to bring in, he would simply just read verbatim off of a lorem ipsum PowerPoint template and then just hope that the other people say something offensive and that he ends up winning anyways. It's embarrassing. Kyle Pitts is currently only behind Mark Andrews in both target share and targets per route run. He's essentially delivered on everything that we've promised and hoped for. Drake London leads all rookies in targets per route run among those with qualifying routes, and both remain completely unstartable in fantasy football because they simply don't play for an actual team. It culminated this weekend in a situation where they received the ball with 14 minutes and 11 seconds left in the fourth quarter. This was their series. They ran the ball on first down. They ran the ball on second down. Then they converted with a pass. Then they ran the ball, incomplete pass, conversion. Then they ran the ball again on first down. They ran the ball on every first down on this drive, down 18 points in the fourth quarter. Then they ran a quarterback scramble, incomplete pass. Then they punted from midfield in the fourth quarter, down 18. They huddled after all these plays. They took the maximum time off the clock. They took five whole minutes to convert two first downs. Then they punted the ball away at midfield. They punted it down to the one. Cincinnati drove 98 yards from the one-yard line to the opposing one-yard line, and Atlanta never touched the ball again after that drive. Their last drive of the game, a game that they lost by 18 points, they ran the ball on every single first down and two of the three second downs. No one can ever say again that Arthur Smith is trying to do the things that maximize winning. He's just a stubborn old man yelling at a cloud, invoking grievance politics upon a football field. And I, for one, am tired of giving him any respect that he is not due. Fuck Arthur Smith. I have basically nothing to add. I think Arthur Smith has been a joke since his time in Tennessee. I am thoroughly unimpressed with his performance in Atlanta. I don't care that they've won two or three games or whatever they won. And that's just very straight. And that's that's the thing. I remember reading reading an article about uh, who is that really terrible Dolphins and Jets head coach again? Tony Sperano? No, no, no. Like recently. Oh, Joe Adam Feldman? Gates. No. Oh, Adam Gase. Adam Gase. Yeah, Adam Gase. Sorry, the Dolphins have had a lot of bad coaches, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Uh, I remember reading an article, article about Adam Gase, and he was talking about how like the changes that he had to make going from like Denver to to Miami, and it was like, well, we you know we're not a very good team, so we got to like play slow and just uh, try to keep it close and hope that we can pull out a win in the end. And that that is so infuriating to me because I'm like, you only get so many tries in the NFL. You only get so many tries. And being a mediocre NFL head coach isn't good enough. Like even the ones that just like tread water, they don't last. Like you need to be a freaking great head coach. And to be a great head coach, you need to develop your team. And if you're not going to let them play because you're playing slow to try to keep it close and, you know, win a coin flip uh, 50 yard touchdown to win the game uh, as time expires, like that's what you're playing for. You're not putting your positions in a player to learn and grow and develop into superstar players that can win you games. And that's exactly what he's doing. In, like That was Adam Gase, which is what he also did in New York, and now he's out of football forever. And like that's that's the path that Arthur Smith is going down. Like He's, he's trying to keep it close. He's running the ball. We're going to control the clock. We might squeak out a win here and there. And we're going to hope to go seven and eight or, you know, seven, sorry, what are we at now? Seven and ten. Hope to go seven and ten, eight and nine, something like that. 
and just you know, we're just tread water and just not develop the players. And I'm like, you have, you've invested in Kyle Pitts, you've invested in Drake London. You can only do so many snaps in practice because there's freaking rules around this. They need to play to get better. Put them on the field and let them freaking fly. Like, let them out of the cage, Arthur. What are you doing? And he just refuses to do it. And it's just, it's mind-boggling. And it sucks for fantasy, but it's not even about fantasy. It's like Drake London's career is in your hands. Kyle Pitts' career is in your hands. You are limiting their earning potential by not letting them play. You're not letting them get better. You're not letting them accumulate stats so they can get paid and support their families. Like, you're not letting them develop intergenerational wealth where they can set up their family for the next seven generations because you won't you're too afraid to let them develop and lose some big games early in your career you have a leash you're new at coaching it's okay if you lose you got time this isn't like this isn't over for you unless you do this if you do this and you just squander everything that you have you're gonna be out of football soon and it is over for you so just for the love of god let the players play that's all i'm asking for and if they suck, they suck, and you find out, and you can move on. Preach. I don't know. Preach. Matt, I mean, let's go on that. No, let's go out on it. I, I, and let's do Let's go on a positive, too, man, because – There is no positive. No, there's a positive because like, you, can, you don't have to look very far to see another team that is succeeding, right? And they're, they're, they're run lean. They're a path rate under expectation team. But look at what Brian Dable does every week, man. It is so cool. <laughs> yeah. like the shit that he does and honestly i'll give this arthur smith he does have some pretty cool play designs i'll give him that but like the stuff that brian dable's doing and the difference in approach where yes when the game is close they also tend to run the ball a lot i don't really even begrudge the falcons for being run heavy to some extent i mean they're a little aggressive in how much they are but being run heavy like to a relative extent in close games but i mean brian dable was they were down two scores against the packers and they had freaking no wide receivers and Saquon Barkley got banged up, was in the locker room. And they had an offense with Gary Brightwell, Matt Breida, Daniel Bellinger, Darius Slayton, Marcus Johnson, just a bunch of random guys. And they were out there scheming stuff up and throwing the ball, using Daniel Jones and bootlegs and doing all sorts of fun stuff. They're going for it on fourth downs. They went for two the first game of the year uh, at the end of the game to go get the big win. They get Wondell Robinson back. What do they do? Immediately pepper him with targets. He's like 25% targets per run as a rookie because they're like, oh, yeah, this guy, we got to get this guy ball because the rest of these guys suck. Right? I mean, it's just, and Saquon Barkley is their best player on the offense. That's the thing. The Giants, actually, their best player is a running back, right? I, the Falcons' best player is not Tyler Algier, that's for sure. <laughs> their, their best players are Drake Lone and Kyle Pitts, right? Get them the ball. The Giants, it's like, oh, our only hope as an offense is just to give Saquon Barkley the ball. And they throw it to him. They hand it off to him. They let him take wildcat snaps. They use him as decoys on end rounds. They do everything they can to build this really creative offense around their best player. And they're freaking 6-1, and one, and it's awesome. And, well, and I just want to see other coaches strive for more than Arthur Smith strives for. And, you know, you know, now that you're saying that, I think back to the uh, Miami Dolphins when they were tanking for two, and then Joe Burrow ended up being better and and whatever. And they, they – uh, who's the coach again? He just – there was a big controversy about him this uh, this summer. Oh, Flores, Brian Flores. Yeah, Brian Flores. He's out there. He's calling like trick plays, like when the game's close, like having letting the players have fun, and they like vastly outperformed what they were supposed to do. They're tanking for Tua failed because Brian Flores let the players have fun. 
and like called interesting plays, played super aggressive early in the game to try to keep it closer or, or get out to a lead and make it easy on your defense because now they know they're playing with the lead. These guys got to play catch up. And like, I don't know, it's just like not seeing a coach even try is like worse, the worst fate, the worst of all fates. And I got to imagine being on that team has got to feel awful. Like, hey, we're down three scores. Coach, what are we doing? We're going we gonna to up the tempo here and try to win? And he's like, nope, we're going to run the ball and uh, control the clock and try not to get embarrassed. I once played on a hockey team that, and our we had a goalie. He's like 15 years old. This is like junior B hockey. And the co- the goalie was like, wasn't even supposed to be on the team. And the coach goes into the room. We were just getting blown out. He's like, you guys want to get embarrassed? We're putting him in that. And he pointed this 15-year-old kid. And the kid goes out and just gets lit up because we were awful. And uh, it was just like the worst morale moment of all time. Like just the coach just gave up and everyone was like with him. And I feel like that's what's happening in Atlanta. Like the coach just gave up and everyone's like, we're out. Like it's over. Like the season's over. Congratulations, Arthur Smith. You've ruined the year. Uh, Falcons fans everywhere will be disappointed because the team isn't even fun. Like if you're if you're gonna lose games, at least be entertaining. Exactly. Like at, at the end of the day, this is a sport built on like spectators. Like if people don't show up to the games, you don't get paid. So like make it entertaining. Make it make it. If you're gonna lose, make it entertaining. That's all I'm asking for. I don't feel like that's too much. That that's not too much. It's not too much. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, two of their next three games are against the Panthers, uh, and then they get the Bears, and then they get the Commanders. So prepare yourself for a bunch more. See Arthur Smith is winning tweets on on Twitter.com. It's going to be painful. But you oh, know what's oh, not going to be painful? Yeah. Quickly, quickly, before we move on from the Falcons, I just would like well, to... We're moving on to the end of the episode, so this is, this yeah, is yeah. your last... Before we move on. We do this every time, though, and then you come up with seven more topics on the fly. No, sorry, not. Hashtag no, sorry, no, not. I'm going to sleep, dude. This is uh, it. Anyway, in the Patreon, I think it was I think it was preseason or it might have been like week one or so, and someone was like, what do we do with Aaron Rodgers? And I was like, oh, you oh, fucking yeah. trade Aaron Rodgers. And then I was like, Marcus Mariota is going to outscore Aaron Rodgers. I said it kind of tongue-in-cheek. I, I like, said, remember on the episode that got deleted that we never got to post the forgotten episode? Yeah. I said I would draft Marcus Mariota ahead of Aaron Rodgers in a one QB redraft league. We're seven weeks in Marcus Mariota's outscoring Aaron Rodgers. This is madness. Congratulations <laughs> to everyone that picked up the good retread quarterback this year. It was there was a big debate. Do we pick up Mitch Trubisky? Do we pick up Marcus Mariota? This was before the, the draft, and can he pick it up? picked in the first round and Desmond Ritter got picked in the third round before that happened and we were pretty sure they were going to take quarterbacks cool. anyways the moral of the story was that Marcus Mariota is not terrible and Arthur Smith is awful well you know the guy that you know the number one quarterback that I was pumping the number one cheap quarterback that I was pumping all year Desmond Ritter no uh but yes but the number one cheap veteran quarterback that I've been pumping all year that I I have a bet with a patron that this person would score would outscore Baker Mayfield. And I told you that he would outscore Baker Mayfield. And I said that we should all trade for him and not Baker Mayfield all summer. And then we should just trade for him instead of Marcus Mariota or Mr. Risky. I'm just going to give you a chance, Matt. He may want to delete this before it airs. Just, you know, okay. Say, say the name. It's of course, Daniel Jones and Daniel. <laughs> I, Jones. I would never be on. I, I have stated in private that 
in the, in the Discord, I've stated Daniel Jones was, uh, what do I call him, discount Jalen Hurts last year, I think it was. And instead of going to pay a premium, Jalen Hurts, you just go buy Daniel Jones. But I would never say that aloud for everyone, like for the masses to hear. Daniel, are you Daniel, insane? Do you, do you know where Daniel Jones is in points per game at the quarterback position this year? What's that? Do, do you know where Daniel Jones is in points per game at the quarterback position this year? <laughs> Mariota is like number 15, so he's probably like number eight. He's number nine. He is number nine. <laughs> Daniel Jones is a QB fucking one, baby. Daniel Jones, number nine. Uh, and he is also 10th, uh, I believe, in EPA, CPOE expect, uh, composite. He's having like a legitimately good season with no weapons. He is leading a team that is tied for the most hashtag QB wins in the NFL. I mean, at this point, he's a favorite to still be a starting quarterback next year, right? Uh, yeah, if they keep this up, I can't imagine they're going to keep this up. But yeah, if they keep this up, he's probably a strong bet to be a starting quarterback next year. Oh, pretty, pretty tough to not be a starting quarterback next year when you win 12 games. If you win 12 games, you're going to start next year. Unless, of course, you're Jimmy Garoppolo, then then you're not going to start next year. Jimmy wins, but, baby. And, and this is funny because it's, every time that you talk about Daniel Jones, it brings me down this path of the worst quarterback ADPs in the history of fantasy and dynasty fantasy football. Maybe it was, maybe it was a good ADP. It's just, it's just uh... two years ago, two years ago, we were looking at Daniel Jones and Josh Allen, like QB eight and QB nine. And that went in entirely different directions. Obviously, Josh Allen blew up and was this amazing outlier of outliers. Like, like when people talk about the outliers in fantasy football, I feel like it gets kind of overblown because a lot of guys have a pretty reasonable chance of hitting. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen didn't have a chance of being what he is. Like it was it was microscopic the chances that Josh Allen became what he did. And Daniel Jones had those similar odds, and it just like played out how we thought it would. And now he's he's back to scoring some fantasy football points, mostly on account of running the football. But then where that brings he's, me back he's to second in the NFL, he's the only quarterback with more rushing yards to Daniel Jones is Lamar Jackson. That makes sense because Lamar Jackson is amazing. Where this brings me to though is now thinking about terrible quarterback ADPs again. You probably weren't playing Dynasty back then, but Jimmy Garoppolo was once a top five Dynasty quarterback after playing, I believe it was five to seven starts in his first year after being traded to San Francisco. <laughs> and he passed for, I think, four touchdowns and seven interceptions or something along those lines, five and seven maybe. Like, he wasn't even good, and people just, like, piled on to Jimmy Garoppolo. It was hilarious. I only bring this up to laugh at Jimmy Garoppolo one more time because Jimmy Garoppolo has an absolutely star-studded supporting cast. And uh, sorry, Matt, we're going to talk real quick about Christian McCaffrey. Hashtag sorry, Matt. Christian McCaffrey, is he still got an elite ceiling? I just, this is really quick. Like, oh, absolutely. Um, I put out, I talked about Christian McCaffrey. If you want more of my thoughts on Christian McCaffrey, you can find them uh, in Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back. I talked about him a lot there. I talked about him a lot in the Twitter thread. I talked to him a lot about in the Bulletproof Patreon. So you have all my Christian McCaffrey thoughts. But my point is, is that uh, I don't care about Kyle Shanahan's previous history of targets to the running back position in San Francisco. He has not had a pass catching running back in San Francisco. Like if you look at their college profiles, if you look at their NFL profiles, all of his running backs in San Francisco, except for Jarek McKinnon, have basically never been pass catchers. And Jarek McKinnon missed the first two seasons in San Francisco with a torn ACL and then complications from that. And then he was like a third down back. So all of his feature backs that have been healthy are middle of the road to non-existent pass catchers. Kyle Shanahan, who predetermines the first read almost more than any other coach in the NFL in terms of how he designs his offense, because he's a good play caller, 
despite his other flaws, uh, he is going to design plays around the players best suited to make those plays. And he doesn't draw up a bunch of checkdowns to running backs. He schemes players open so that his quarterback doesn't have to constantly check down to running backs. And he's not going to design a bunch of plays to go to running backs that aren't good at pass, pass catching when he has awesome weapons. In Atlanta, Devonta Freeman had by far his two best receiving yardage seasons under Kyle Shanahan in this system. He's certainly not averse to featuring running backs in the passing game. And I'm pretty sure that he's aware of Christian McCaffrey's skill set. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is not the best receiver in the NFL. And he's not the best rusher in the NFL, but he is by far the best at those two things together. And what that creates is the ability to consistently get matched up against linebackers in the receiving game. Kyle Shanahan fully knows what he has in his hands. He's going to put this player in position to succeed. He's going to implement all sorts of crazy, awesome looks where he's going to move Debo and CMC all over the place because he has probably the two most versatile players in the NFL. And he's going to get the ball into CMC's hands for a lot of him to succeed. He's going to probably be insanely efficient. This offense is going to actually score points, unlike Carolina, which means CMC is going to get a bunch of touchdowns. Um, and I expect him to all of a sudden be playing like all the snaps and scoring all the fantasy points as soon as next week. And like, I, I want people to just stop being so fear-based and be like, oh my God, what if he doesn't have as much volume as he had in Carolina? And think about what if the most versatile incomparable fantasy weapon in the league now gets placed with one of the best five play callers in the world on potentially a good offense. What if he just has the best like running back season of all time next year or something like that? Like can't, can't people just be excited? Can't we be excited to see good players and put in positions to succeed? He's going to crush in San Francisco. Yeah. It's funny. I, I remember the, like, I, I didn't know that this narrative that Kyle Shanahan doesn't pass the running backs existed because I remember distinctly when Jerick McKinnon signed in San Francisco, Jerick McKinnon's value in dynasty leagues freaking exploded. Everybody wanted. I sold Jerick McKinnon for two first round picks before he played it down for the 49ers. Two first round picks. It was insane. Like people were like, Kyle Shanahan, mastermind, loves throwing to the running back. Look at his history with running backs. And they went through all the running backs he used to throw to. And then suddenly, you know, like they just stopped throwing running backs, probably because the running backs weren't very good at catching the ball. And now they have Christian McCaffrey, who's pretty good at catching the ball. They're going to throw running backs again. It's okay. The, the issue that I have with Christian McCaffrey, and really everyone in that San Francisco team right now, is somebody isn't going to eat. I don't know who it is, but somebody isn't going to eat. And it's not going to be Christian McCaffrey. He's going to eat. And it's probably going to be George Kittle. And I'm a little concerned about Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel at this point. Debo Samuel. I mean, why do you think Kittle's going to eat? Kittle like, has less of a target share than Ayuk and Samuel. I think he's got the most unique role. Like, I think what's going to happen is McCaffrey's going to take. Unique role in pass blocker? Huh? Unique role is in blocker? No. Well, like, I don't know. What's his target share right now? I'm joking. Uh, it's like 19%. Yeah. Well, that's a little lower than his career average, but like, it's probably not going to change much. I think what's going to happen is McCaffrey's going to run those, like, Option no routes. air yard pass routes that uh, Debo was running. Yeah. And then Debo is potentially just going to go alpha the hell out of Ayuk, and Ayuk's going to be irrelevant again. Or Debo is going to be in like this weird like middle ground where both him and Ayuk are just useless. Uh, not yeah, not like useless, useless, but like completely irrelevant. Like just like, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be volatile. I think this is an offense that it's going to be. 
like they're all going to have weeks. I'm not worried about McCaffrey because he's going to get all the rushing. And then the only thing that wanes week to week is the receiving and the touchdowns. But like he's going to have such a high floor with the rushing that it's going to be fine. But uh, yeah, I agree that, that the other three are going to be volatile. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's kind of similar to Philly where it's like every week one guy gets left out. Like it's it's not an ideal situation when you when you put like a ton of really great players. I mean, it's an ideal situation for like the team. Oh, but yeah. But it's like, not like, it's not be a 49ers fan right now. Great job, yeah. everyone. Well, no, you wouldn't. Your team just traded like a bunch of picks for a running back. Yeah, I mean that's not great, but like be happy this year. Well, you have yeah. the running back and the picks. No, I mean, it's, it's a similar situation as the Eagles, right? It's like every week with the Eagles, basically, like one guy gets left out of the party, um, and it's and that's like really only with three guys. This is a four guys, right? And that's only with three guys. Yeah, I mean, well, not yeah. I mean, because it's essentially like Christian McCaffrey is going to be basically playing like the Miles Sanders role, but plus like an extra ten percent of target share. Yeah. It's a pretty big, pretty big target share. Yeah, so that comes out of someone, and then there's only so much that can come out of Jawan Jennings. So it's definitely yeah. So like, like the other guys are just gonna basically be erased, I think. But even of the last men standing, like I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say with George Kittle being like fine is I don't think his role is gonna change much. Like I think he's still gonna do what George Kittle does, but I think Debo and Ayuk have the potential to just cannibalize each other and or Debo and McCaffrey cannibalize each other and yeah. McCaffrey has a slightly lower ceiling, but I, I don't really think that's likely. I don't think so. I mean, what I post in my thread is I think like basically McCaffrey takes the most out of Debo's current work. But then I think that I could see Kyle Shannon being like, well, we're going to give a bunch of these Debo plays to McCaffrey, but also Debo's really good. So then we're just going to give Debo some of Ayuk's plays or whatever. Like I yeah. think that's like very possible um, or he doesn't. And then in that case, Debo is like super fucked. Yeah. But um, but I also think it's possible that he's like, well, I still want to get the ball into Debo's hands, so then I'll just like give him more like intermediate and deep stuff because like, that's what they did for the first half of last year, and yeah. Debo was really good at it. So I think he's capable. But yeah, it's, it's somebody's going to get left out in the cold. It might not always be the same guy every week though. But yeah, no, it'll, it'll probably vary. It'll probably match up specific. Like Shanahan will be like, this is the Brandon Ayuk week, and then Brandon Ayuk gets a bunch of targets, and then next week is the Debo week, and the following week yeah. is the middle week, and. And we just cycle through until everyone is miserable, except for Christian McCaffrey owners. Yeah, but I, well, I'm mostly just a, I'm mostly a CMC owner, so I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with that outcome. Yeah, me too. I pretty much only have CMC of the of the four. And with that, we are signing out. Once again, you are listening to the Bulletproof. Uh, no, no, this is that was a lie. You are not listening to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. What you are, in fact, listening to is Sweatin' Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am, of course, your host, DF Bean Counter. Formerly with me, as always, was Jacob. He is now a tiny spinning circle, and we will see you at the same time next week. <laughs>